Jesus and the New Temple, next on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Jesus clears out the temple with a whip of cords. So much for meek and mild. Welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. We're here in John chapter 2, verses 13 through 35. It's here that Jesus clears out the temple and then speaks about a new temple to come. We're continuing our series through John. Today's message is called Jesus, the New Temple. Please join us for the significance of clearing out a temple. Here's Pastor Phil Howard now with today's broadcast of Truth For Today. I want to pick up John 2.13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The context of what's going on is Jews, when they came up for Passover from the inhabited world around the Mediterranean, they didn't make that journey bringing sheep and sacrifices with them. They waited till they got to Jerusalem, and they would purchase the animals there. Besides that, they had to pay a temple tax. They paid like a temple redemption. Well, they would bring this various coinage from all over the uh, Mediterranean world. They would exchange that, change it, and probably they believe in the Gentiles' court. They made it uh, bins for uh, sheep, goats, all of this. Uh, you know, and so you're running, uh, you've got livestock there and all of this. And so when you came up to the temple site, you'd hear all this noise. You could hear the sheep, you can hear the cattle. Uh, you can hear the bargaining going on over money and exchange rates. I mean, it was a mercenary, loud, uh, raucous group. And Christ takes his authority and something is strange when he's able to do what he did, can you imagine driving a man away from his money and him not beating you up? Why didn't all the money changers jump in there and beat Christ up? Some kind of authority. He just cleaned house. Nobody made a step to stop him. It's like when they came to arrest him in the garden, and they said, we've come to arrest you. Who are you? I am. And the soldiers fall back. See, his authority, somebody exerted that. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? I mean, it's like blasphemy, sacrilege to infer. And matter of fact, they were building on this building under Herod up to 63 A.D. And what happened in 70 A.D.? Everything they worked 46 years on was plowed under by the armies of Titus. It's a 
terrible thing that everything you poured your life into is ready to be plowed under. And they said, well, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. And when you raise it up in three days, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. I need to take you to an obscure passage before this even in chapter 1. In the last verse of chapter 1, an obscure passage that I think most of my life about what in the world is he talking about. Verse 51. And he said to him, talking to Nathanael, he'd seen Nathanael under the fig tree, which was too far for the natural eye. So Nathanael picked up, oh, something supernatural must be going on that he could see me that far down the road. So then he said to Nathanael, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of a God ascending and descending. And if you're reading Genesis 28, you would say, on the ladder of Jacob. Because where this verse is used, it's used when Jacob was fleeing, and he's gone to the house of Laban to get away from Esau. He has a prayer meeting, and while he's dreaming, he sees this ladder from earth to heaven, and angels going up and down, up and down. And before he leaves the place, he names it Bethel. I've been at the house of God and I didn't even know it. He said, I was here and didn't discern that God was in this place. And now he's telling Nathaniel, Nathaniel, I'm here among you and I'm one that would replace Jacob's ladder. I'm going to be the connection of heaven to the earth. And as Jacob saw angels descending and ascending and showing the gate of heaven, I, here Nathaniel, I, the Son of God, am, I am the one. The Son of Man is the ladder. I'm the way you connect earth with heaven. Then he comes over to chapter 2 and he says, after he cleanses the temple, I am the temple of God. That is blasphemy to a Jew. Sacrilegious. But what is he saying? Let me give you a little history. Back in Exodus 40, uh, Moses had a wrestling match with whether God would stay with his people. Because God got fed up with them and their sin. And he said, Moses, I want to kill the nation. I'll work with you, but I want to kill the people. Moses talked him out of it. Then he said, I'll go ahead of you, Moses, and lead you that way. Moses said, no deal, no deal. you got to go with us. If you don't go with us, I don't want to go. Well, God relents once again, and he reveals the tabernacle. And in chapter 40 of Exodus, God says, I'm going to come down, and I'm going to fill the Holy of Holies with my presence, and the tabernacle will be the place where my presence will live. Heaven is going to visit earth in this Ugly-looking badger skin. Some believe it was porpoise hides. We're not sure what the tabernacle curtains were made of, either badger skins or porpoise skins. And he made that, but inside was the glory, the presence of God. And when God told them to move the tent, they moved. And the fire 
and the cloud. So God said, I'll live among my people and the tabernacle will be the center. I'll hang out above the mercy seat. Coming along in 1 Kings 8, David had a great desire. After they moved into the land, they put away the tabernacle. They still had the Ark of the Covenant, but the tabernacle folded it up. They weren't moving around anymore. And David got really uh, desirous. Why is it the God of Israel and the Ark of the Covenant is kept out in different fields? Sometimes the Philistines get it. Sometimes it's like in a barn. This represented the Shekinah presence of God. We can do better than this. And so he tells God, I want to build you a house. God says, David, you're too bloody a man. I fought wars through you. I'll build houses through Solomon. Somebody's got to fight the enemy. And many times they never get to build the house. And David was uh, not given that privilege. But David started giving of his resources and started collecting the goods needed to build it. And he knows Solomon, his son, gets the privilege. Solomon, the day they build this temple and dedicate it to the Lord, First King said, The glory of God so filled the temple that the priests could move on the premises. They couldn't walk around. The glory cloud was so thick and powerful the, the high priest and the priests who were frozen in their tracks. They couldn't move. The presence of God was made so real and evident on that day. You come to Isaiah 66, he said, to Israel, who loved temple. They wanted temple. They wanted Jerusalem, our temple. He said, who were you to ever think you could build a house big enough to contain me? For the highest heavens can't contain me. I'm bigger than any house you can build. I appreciate your thoughtfulness, Solomon, but I'm bigger than anything you can build. Well, something tragic happens to the nation. The nation begins to fall in love with their neighbors, especially their gods. In Ezekiel 8 through 11, he describes a tragic story. He has Ezekiel caught up when he's down there by... Uh, the river Chabar and in Brook, in Babylon, he catches him up in the spirit and he takes him to investigate the temple in Jerusalem. And when he gets there, the first thing he sees in chapter eight is an idol that God calls jealousy. You've taken the place that was set apart for me, the place where my glory wanted to be manifested, And you're provoking me at my very house. You've got an idol named jealousy that's provoking me. And Ezekiel describes sequentially the removal of the Shekinah from the temple. From the Holy of Holies, it moves to the outer court. Then it moves to the outer gate. And then it goes to the eastern gate of Jerusalem. And by the time he gets to chapter 11, the Shekinah, the divine presence, ascends into the heavens. So God is saying, Israel, your place of worship, I've left. You'll still go on as usual, but my presence will no longer be there. For you've chosen other gods. You're doing abominable things. I'll see that your temple lies in waste. And when you rebuild it, 
You can rebuild it, but you can't make me house it. I'll leave you an empty temple without the divine presence. And so, Babylon comes, ransacks all the gold and all the precious sacred ware that was there. Everything is scattered. And then God sends Zerubbabel and Joshua to go back and rebuild it. And he raises up the prophet Zechariah and Haggai to encourage the people, rebuild what's been wasted. And in Haggai, the people weep when they've rebuilt it and see that its glory has been diminished. It is such a ragtag building compared to Solomon's temple. And they wept. So the glory has left Israel. The divine presence has left. But John begins his gospel and he uses a word used of the tabernacle in one fourteen, For the word was made flesh and tinted out among us. The word will come and hang out in a tent and the tent will be his body. And he said the glory that was in the tent back in the wilderness is now in me and I'm full of glory and grace and truth. Uh, the glory of God is now centered in a person, not in a building, not in Jerusalem, not in an Old Testament temple. It's now centered in Yeshua, the Messiah. Then he comes over here to chapter 2, and he sets us up. He first of all says, the old wine of the old dispensation has run out, and I've come to bring you the new wine of myself. The change agent has come. Then he begins to say, I also have come, I'm a temple cleanser. You're a, you've got a form of godliness, but you're devoid of God's power. You look religious, you, you've got all the outworkings, you've still got a priesthood, you're still offering lambs. You, there's one thing missing. God. You draw nigh to him with lips. But your heart's far from him. And I'm going to do you people like you've done me. Isaiah said it. You talk to me with lips, but your hearts are wicked. I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to talk to you, but I'm going to withdraw my presence. I'm out of here. And poor Judaism for 2,000 years has staggered through the centuries like a drunk man on a London foggy night. They staggered through history. No high priest, no priesthood, no sacrifice, no temple. 2,000 years, the Jewish people have no place to find the presence of God. Where has it escaped? Jesus said, the temple is ended no more. You've turned it into a house of merchandise. You play in church, as it were. You're having playhouse religion. And I'm a thousand miles from the place. Then he tells them, I am the temple of God. And you can destroy this temple. This temple will have to be crucified. And this temple will rise again. For I am going to become the meeting place of heaven on earth. If you want to meet God on this earth, you've got to come to Jesus. He's the meeting place. This is where heaven touches the earth in Christ. The temple is my body. Now, I want you to follow me. Do you know how to flip pages in a Bible? It's not real hard. You ready? Start flipping. Ephesians. You've got to follow this in the Bible. Ephesians. It's over here to the right. 
We, we loan your Bible. Please don't steal it. It's a terrible thing to steal while you're at church. Do it when you get home. Uh, look at Ephesians 2, 2.19. I'm going to show you his temple building, what his program looks like. Where is the temple of God? He said he was the temple. So now he's telling Gentiles that God has included them in salvation. Listen to verse 19. So then you, you Gentiles, are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Do you get it? Gentiles who had had no covenants, no prophets, no promises for centuries are now being told when Messiah came, he's worked out a way to get you in his family. I'm in the Messianic family, friend. I'm in the family, the household of Messiah. It ought to make you shout if you knew what I was saying. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. See, when they laid that cornerstone, the first stone, all the lines to build that building were taken off. If you had a uh, surveyor, he'd get that stone in place, and then you mark out all your lines to keep it square. Christ says, I am the cornerstone. I set the perimeters and the lines of who will be in this temple. I am the focal point. And so he says, you know I am the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Let me tell you about this word joined together. Hear me well. When they built the temple, when Solomon's temple was built, there was never a hammer allowed on the site. And you know what they did to keep the stones together? Especially as they rebuilt it. They poured molten lead in between the stones as they rebuilt Herod's temple. There was no hammering on the temple. Because they would, at the quarry, the architect would send, carve, and engrave. They would dig into that stone so that when they brought it together on the site, it would just clip together. They would just fit together, and if there was any give way, they could pour molten lead. But you didn't hammer. You see, while it was in the quarry, the architect had described what it would take when they were digging it out. This is the way to hew the stone. I want you to know when God found you in your sin, the master architect and cornerstone had already figured out where you would fit. And when you came into the body of Christ, you fit because he designed you from the foundation of the world to fit in the body of Christ. I fit because the architect put made me fit. I belong to the cornerstone. And so do you if you know him. He has no warts in the body, just living members. You fit. He added you at the right time in history. He gave you the right spiritual gift. He put you in the right local church. He said, you fit where I put you in this building. I dug you out. I paid for the stone at the cross. But the Spirit did the chiseling at the quarry. And He put you in the body. And you fit. Grow up. You're being joined together 
and present tense, you're continually growing into a what? Holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Some think this picture of the church is the church is seen in heaven. But notice, I'm taking you who are aliens and strangers. I dug you out of the quarry of sin. I fit you in and you become my new temple where God hangs out. Now follow me. Go back to 1 Corinthians. You turn a little bit this way. I can hear some of your Bibles. It just like makes a noise. It's been so long. I, I can hear it cracking. Come on. 1 Corinthians 3. Are you there? And you've got to follow. Watch this. Uh, Verse 10, Paul said, God had called him and the apostles to be master builders. And they built on the foundation of Christ. And when they were building, they didn't build with cheap material. They built with gold, silver, and precious stones. If you build with cheap stuff, he said, I'm going to burn it up. God's house isn't to be cheap. Don't build with cheap stuff when you're doing it for God. And Paul said, we didn't use wood, hay, and stubble. We as the leaders of God's church, we gave you the gospel. We gave you a crucified Christ. We told you the truth. Then he goes on, the day will disclose every man's work. But then he comes down to verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's Spirit dwells in you. Now, now, I'm, I'm not sure I'd want to be a member of the Corinthian church. It's a good place to get sued. Good place to lose your wife. A good place to be in a church fight all the time. They were fussing about something all the time. And 2 Corinthians is brutal. No preacher wants to read 2 Corinthians very often. Because it tells you how they spit Paul out and say, we can't stand you. And every pastor reads 2 Corinthians when his heart's broken. And the people he loves say, we can't stand you. Because that's what they did to Paul. Do you not know, Corinth? Don't you know that you are God's temple? And that God's Spirit dwells in you? Pastor Phil Howard here today on Truth For Today as we continue our survey of the book of John. As we close out our time together today, we're mindful of the fact that these broadcasts encourage you in Christ, and we would love to hear specifically how that's going about. Would you take a moment and let us know? You can reach us a couple of ways, either by phone at 855-833-9864, or you can swing by our website, valleybible.org, and drop us an email. Now, while you're at valleybible.org, also shop around. Take a look at some of the resource materials we have available for you. Also, you'll be able to glean a bit more information about Valley Bible Church, who we are, what we believe, also worship opportunities and the like. We've got our service times, our location, and directions all found again at valleybible.org. Now, as we close out our time together today, we do have a special gift that we would love to pass on to you for a gift of any amount here in the month of August. It's called The Romance of Redemption. It's a marvelous look at the book of Ruth. Here to tell us a bit more about it, once again, our teacher and pastor, Pastor Phil Howard. It's an illustration of the Redeemer that will come out of her to David called Jesus Christ. He came for us poor sinners. Only Jesus appealed to the lepers. Only Jesus appealed 
to the fallen, to children. Because you see, our God is more than Mount Sinai. He is the stubborn lover of all history. And all of us would have already perished had he not got romantically involved with sinners. It's not just courtroom. It's also courting us, courting us at the cross. For the love of God was displayed there. And I hear Paul, 2 Corinthians 5, for the love of God beseeches you and beseeches me to make Christ known. What a love story. Oh, what a love story. And we see this marvelously portrayed in Ruth that she comes to rest under the everlasting arms of God. The Romance of Redemption. Again, it is yours for a gift of any amount here in the month of August. It's our way of saying thank you for sponsoring and supporting Truth For Today here on KFAX. We are a listener-supported ministry, which means we depend upon you, our listeners, to help out financially. And as you become a TFT sustainer on a regular basis, again, no gift is too small or too large. We'll say thank you by also adding in our quarterly newsletter. We have a once a year special gift that we pass out to our sustainers. Also, access to our weekly video devotional with Pastor Phil. It's called Take a Break. And again, all of this is available when you sign up to become a TFT sustainer. Find out more at our website, valleybible.org, or call 855-833-9864. And by the way, don't forget to follow us on Facebook. You'll find us at Truth For Today, and we'll keep you posted as to the events and things going on here at Truth For Today. Thank you for joining us here today on Truth For Today. Until next time, God bless. God bless.